now that you would tune us into the work that you're doing in us and through us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, as he said, my name is Matt McGill. Typically, I lead the worship up here. Uh, so it's a great honor uh, to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. I, uh, I understand. I was away last week, but I understand that Jason Mazingo preached and set the bar so low that I could just literally step over it. <laughs> and with my call, is preached. Are you preaching next week? You preached last week. Anyway, this is going to be the summer that Bethel's going to remember the monkeys getting the keys to the zoo. Uh, and that's okay. Uh, so I want to say uh, a couple things as, uh, in a way, as way of kind of introduction uh, to what I'm going to be talking about. I've been teaching a lot lately. I got asked by... Um, by uh, Ken Comerfeld to go and speak at a conference of doctors about the very serious epidemic of uh, uh, medical burnout. And then uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got asked to speak, uh, if you can believe it, uh, in, at a yoga studio on the Christian virtues of yoga. And then pretty much since my kids have been born, I've been talking uh, to them. And so I've, I think two of the three audiences were pretty receptive I don't know about my kids. This may be the longest concentrated time that they've had to listen to me ever. Uh, but I'm excited for that today. We have, um, I have to say, you know, I'm kind, of a, uh, I'm kind of an enthusiast. I love what I love. And if I love it, you're going to hear about it. And, and that's just who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, but but that's just that's just who I am, and so it, it, it nothing bothers me more than when I say, you know, uh, Joe, you've got to listen to this song. Listen, I'm going to turn it on. Listen, I'm turning. And Joe looks at me like, and then says, "Are we still having hot dogs?" I'm like, "You missed it. You missed it completely, Joe. Weren't you listening?" And so today I'm saying, because I'm an enthusiast and because I'm an enthusiast about God's word, and particularly this passage this week, I want you to not miss it. I want you to dial in and hear this. I want to say that probably, you know, actually I'll probably, I'll read the scripture first and then we'll go back and unpack the scripture uh, verse by verse. You will have heard this scripture before. Here we go. Genesis 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the, to the Lord an offering of the first fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel's offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, and you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? 
The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance should be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And that's the reading of God's word. And now we'll take it verse by verse. Let me say that as far as Cain goes, I'm kind of, uh, well, I'm kind of a scholar in the ways of Cain. I'm the older, uh, oldest of three boys. Look at that guy. And I do not mean my brothers. Look at that guy with his leg up, a perfect Olin Mills shot in my backyard, with my brother Wes grimacing behind me at my beautiful blonde hair, and my brother Ben totally unaware of what's actually going on. <laughs> but there we are with my mother, Teresa. I don't know why my dad didn't make it into this classic shot, but I can assure you it wouldn't have looked as good if he were there. Uh, let's say, uh, he's probably not going to listen to this podcast, so that's okay. I, uh, you know, this is nearly a biblical reality. And I say to you today that to listen to this story and actually hear it and have it mean something to your heart, it can't be like you going, hmm, that's an interesting thing that happened over there to Cain and Abel. You can't look at it like um, it's something uh, that you should have learned about them. You must see yourself within the story. So let me say a way not to look at this story. I used to go to uh, the dentist office and my mom was probably a little too cheap to buy, uh, to take a subscription to High Life Magazine, which I really liked. But I really liked High Life Magazine for one reason and I would see it at the dentist office. I would see it and I would look at the pages to find Goofus and Gallant. You guys know Goofus and Gallant? I see some people tracking with me here. Goofus and Gallant. Oh, yes, here he is. Make it fast. I'm hungry. We have so many things to be thankful for. Okay, so you see Goofus is on the left, and Gallant is piously on the right. Goofus and his playmate are noisy while Mother is taking a nap. Mother is taking a nap. We must play quietly. Honestly, I find the life of Goofus way more interesting. But this is the one that's probably the most apropos for today. I wish I had no little brother. I'm glad I had a little brother. Said no older brother ever. <laughs> so this is not the way to look at what we're going to look at today. Because the truth is, is moralism, a, a law-based approach to this text, would cause us to go, if this is Cain and this is Abel, I'm going to be over here. But you can't be because, well, that's what we're going to find out. <laughs> 
I don't want to get ahead of myself. You see, uh, the first result of the fall was what? Covering up. Covering up. That was hiding from God. This is, by the way, this is the work of Adam and Eve. Of course, you know these, these most spectacular of first parents. Uh, just imagine uh, the existential angst and relational burden of having them as parents. I mean, they really screwed things up, didn't they? Uh, here is... Uh, the second result of, of the fall is murder. So the first result of the fall is covering up. The second result of the fall is murder. And we're going to talk more about how those two are related and why they are inevitably related in a broken world. So let's go verse by verse. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. Boom, 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 I've been rich. I mean, this is the first time a man and a woman get together and make a baby. Or at least the first what time that we're, you know, looking at it in Scripture. And he didn't just know her like, I kind of know that lady. He knew her, okay? And this was uh, probably a gift to Adam, but especially a gift to Eve, who then says, and she, con she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, she does give credence to the help of God who gave her a man, but let's be honest. If I heard my wife say, I've gotten a man, it's like I'm already feeling like, what am I, chopped liver? You've had a man. But now she's going to sort of, um, sort of do what mothers do, and that is to look into the promise of the child to meet, um, meet the needs of the mother or meet the or fulfill the unfulfilled dreams of a mother believe me i know a little bit about this you see uh you know nothing this is carl jung that says nothing has a stronger influence psychologically on their children than the unlived life of their parent nothing has a stronger influence psychologically on the life of their children than the unlived life of their parent can you imagine being eve's son dad really screwed this up. You're going to get it right. So she has then the firstborn Cain. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And so we have right away this patriarchal society, right? This is the firstborn. First guy, by the way, first guy ever born. Sometimes I tell my kids, can you have some grace with me? This is the first time I've ever been a parent. And in a lot of ways, it's the first time you're ever doing anything when you're doing it. So ease up. Like, don't, don't take it so hard on yourself. But here's Cain. He's like the first time. He's, he's the first mama's boy, really. I mean, he's the mama's boy to which we all look, all of us mama's boys. And mama's boys, when I say it, is not such a positive thing, okay? So here's Cain with this burden of, I've got to do good. I want to do good. I want to please Ma and Pa. And she conceived a son uh, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And this is this ever-present burden can you imagine uh, being, being Adam's son? I mean, here's Adam. It's like, Dad, you totally duffed it. But I'm going to make it right. I won't make the mistakes of my father, says every man always, foolishly. <laughs> and what does a son want to hear more than anything? And we're going to return to this later. But what a son wants to hear more than anything is, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. A son wants blessing. And again, she bore 
his brother Abel. First younger brother ever. He was a keeper of the sheep. And Cain, a worker of the ground. Now let's just look at this just real quick here. A keeper of the sheep, boy. Can you imagine? What a gentle guy, perhaps. Or maybe it was a rugged business, and maybe he was really strong to take care of these sheep. There's sort of a future echo, isn't there, of a Davidic king, a king, a shepherd king like David, and then our, our shepherd, Jesus. We're going to see that, that, that Abel is a future echo of that. And Cain is a worker of the ground. Now, by the way, remember, this is the first older brother ever, the first younger brother ever, and the first guys that have to go to work and produce thorns and thistles. This is not a delightful existence, but here they go. Here they go to work. The worker of the ground, a farmer, a producer, but yet remember the ground is cursed. And then the keeper of sheep, the shepherd, the protector, future echo of Jesus and David. And there's this right away, there's this distinction between what you're doing and what I'm doing. Everything after the fall must be interpreted through the lens of the fall. They know, these two know, they're going to die. And because they know they're going to die, because they in some ways know their days are numbered, they need to make hay while the sun shines. They need to produce. They need to feed themselves. And we have to remember that this is before uh, temple sacrifice. Okay, it leads to it. It's a sense of uh, sacrifice, the sense of, you know, I'm going to not eat all the cookies today. I'm going to save a few. Or maybe I'm going to give the first cookie I make to God so that he'll assist me in getting more cookies. Okay, there's a little bit of a reciprocity understanding here in this. Can you turn my mic down just a touch? Just a touch. Uh, the, the, there's a sort of a sense of like back scratching with God, this sacrifice thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be hard in a broken world to keep it from having some tainting of sin. In the course of time, Cain brought, the, brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. So what's an offering? Think about your life. What is your life? Your life is an offering. Your vocation is an offering. The thing that you do well is an offering. The thing that you hope will be accepted is an offering. Reality is God. Now that may be like a head scratcher. That is this. God is showing you reality. God is producing in your reality a cognizance of your strength and your weakness. There's no sacrificial system at this point. There's no temple. There hasn't been a formalized plan laid by God for sacrifice. There's just the reality of God and the God of reality. Everything that Cain and Abel do, everything you do is before God. Your life becomes an offering. And that offering, believe it, will either be an acceptable offering or an unacceptable offering to reality. And probably, if you're being honest, even the days where you have an acceptable reality you'll wake up the next day and go, I got to start again. And that's something like thorns and thistles. You won't produce for yourself religion, religion to tie back to God. You won't be able to do that. These two first sons are cut off from the life of God in a very real way. And they're trying to get back. They want to hear, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. They want to hear that. And so they work for it. But let's be honest. What we're going to find out is that Cain sacrificed so that God would love him and Abel sacrificed because 
God loves him. And that's a very different, that's my first point, in fact. Offer to God because he loves you and not so he'll love you. That's the difference between religion and relationship. But it's an impossible task until you recognize its impossibility and thus your need for the intervention of the miraculous, the very life of God in your life. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Now, I went through a very disgusting study of fat portions. Uh, don't look at it. I mean, the, the fat was for the Lord, and I don't know why. Maybe he just didn't think we should eat it. But eventually, I guess it was sort of set aside for the Lord. But here, you know, uh, here's Abel offering the firstborn. Now, what happens if Abel only has one sheep? Well, then that was quite a sacrifice, wasn't it? And there's some, some deductive reasoning that helps us to understand that because he gave the first sheep, he said, God, I trust you that there'll be more sheep. And in trusting God that there'll be more sheep, there's something like belief in the promise that was tucked into the curse. What was the curse? The curse uh, of thorns and thistles, the, the curse of pain and childbirth, the, the curse of, of dislocation and disunion between a husband and wife and between mothers and sons and fathers and sons. It's a curse, but what is the promise? He will crush your head, serpent. He will crush your head, but you will bruise his heel. And there's something about Abel's offering that spoke to God. Even, the, even in Hebrews, it said, by faith, Abel offered to God an acceptable sacrifice, more acceptable than Cain's, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So, here's what happens. The Lord has regard for Abel's offering, but for Cain, he has no regard. Ah. If your life is an offering, to be told no, now that's not my tempo. I don't think so. Come back tomorrow. Try again. Should have worked harder. Should have studied harder. Should have paid more attention. Here, your prize behind door number two is you're going to sleep on your mother's couch for a while. That's kind of a joke and kind of a sad comment. But the reality is, is that oftentimes your offering just doesn't measure up in the world. And it's crushing. Especially if you don't have any archetypal understanding of older brothers to lean on. It's not like Cain can go, I've read this in the Bible. I've, uh, I've, uh, I've seen, you know, a guy uh, suffering like this before. I think I know what to do. Man, the guy's the first time. Let's take it easy on Cain in some ways, okay? Yes, his offering wasn't acceptable, but he was the first person ever to have to deal with psychologically with the reality that his offering wasn't acceptable. That's heavy. He doesn't even have any help. So here he is trying to understand... I worked so hard but it didn't rain enough and so I didn't when it didn't rain I thought well I'll hold on to some of the fruit you know I'll hedge my bets maybe God's mad at me maybe God's really still upset with my parents and that whole thing at the tree so Cain was angry and his face fell you ever seen somebody's face fall You know, shoulders and posture. I mean, they just get hit with a medicine ball of reality in the gut. 
you know, life just says, no, you can't have it. No, it's, you're, yours is not good enough. You get, you get told no. Because of my sin, the psychological, spiritual well, my psychological and spiritual well-being is tied up in the work of my hands. And condemnation is the inevitable result which leads to spite and envy. This is key idea number two. Comparison is the result of condemnation. I mean, we don't have to look too far to Facebook or Instagram to see us looking for some sense of comparison. Their life is really good. I, we saw a card yesterday. I'm so happy for you. And a little jealous. <laughs> like the, the sense of like, you know, uh, I'm so happy for all these people that I know and love, but in comparison, my life really seems like it's running out of gas. You know, it's just not, uh, my life is just, I'm feeling a little like I'm not measuring up. Cain can't help comparing. He's just been rejected. His flesh is aroused. Abel has become a living reproach to Cain. Do you know these people that just step in success accidentally always? Do you know these people? It's maddening. You know, Megan will be like, we're going over to their house. They just built an awesome new house. It's 7,000 square feet. And I'm so excited to see it. And I'm like, yay. <laughs> Have you seen his new Ferrari? No, and I don't want to. It's like my mom showing me pictures from her vacations. Nobody wants to see the pictures of your vacation. They really don't. They just don't. It was your vacation. Enjoy it. All your vacation pictures show me is I wasn't there. I didn't get that vacation. Do you see what I'm saying? So the idea of, you know, of Cain being, of, of, of Abel being like a living reproach. He's like a constant walking around law to Cain. And Cain is just like, oh, I am no good compared to my brother. Do you know what I'm saying? He can't take it. And it's so upsetting when you really think about it. I knew this guy. When I was growing up, the first, the only thing that I wanted to be probably from age eight to probably 12 or 13 was a pitcher. I wanted to be a pitcher. I wanted the center of attention. I wanted to play baseball. I wanted to throw so fast and my arm was so weak. And my buddy Clay Bruner could throw like 90 miles an hour in his eighth grade year. I mean, he was like, he went, he ended up going to play for the Detroit Tigers, but through my entire high school, you know, junior high and high school years, I wanted to be Clay Bruner and not me. Okay. Never mind the fact that Clay Bruner's mother died at 10 of cancer. His dad, I don't even want to get into the, to, to the way his dad irresponsibly handled that reality but I didn't care about that. I just wanted to be a great pitcher. And the only thing that Clay Bruner's existence spoke to me is, you're not a great pitcher. I am. And that's very upsetting. Now, I had, I had many more experiences in my life of crushing reality, okay? And can I tell you that I gritted and bared those and still do sometimes. That person, they're so good at what I want to be good at. They I mean, their offering, their sacrifice is de facto accepted by God and reality, seemingly. No, never mind, because we only see what we want to see. We don't see how people are actually suffering. God knows this and graciously leans in to Cain's dilemma. 
Notice this. This hit me this week in a brand new way. Here we know that we know that Jesus is later going to say in the Sermon of the Mouth, Sermon of the Mouth, Sermon on the Mount, that blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall be comforted. Do you understand how close God is to you? Do you understand that He knows your every suffering and is moving toward you in your suffering, in your disappointment? What a gift! That we have a God that comes close, that seems to come closer to us in and through our misery. Stevie Wonder says, When you feel your life's too hard, just go have a talk with God. There's, there's this, the door is always open. Excuse me, a little burp right there. That never happens. <laughs> <laughs> Stevie Wonder kind of unleashed that. The Lord. The Lord, the Lord says to Cain, look, he's stepping closer to Cain. And he knows, he knows what's going to go down, but he's moving closer to Cain. And what does he say? The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? Now, do you think that the Lord doesn't know the answer to that? Sometimes when the Lord asks you questions, whether that's through your reading of Scripture or through the Spirit that's, that's in the, those that are in your midst, sometimes when, the, when you're asked questions... It's not because the person doesn't know. It's because God is inviting you to know yourself better. Eric always talks about God's reconciling work, the reconciling work he did between us and himself, between us and one another. And this is the one that fascinates me the most. It's the reconciling work that God does to reconcile me to me so that I can understand who I am and why I think and feel and act the way that I do. The Lord said to Cain, why is... I got off for a second there. Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? Later he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Okay. Now we have something of a dichotomy. We have something of a distinction within Cain. He's got the opportunity to do well, but he's just not doing well. And so when he, he has to come face to face with the fact that he could get back out there, kid. Do it again. There's another season. Ask your brother for a piece of sheep or goat or whatever they're eating. You know, you know just, just move close. Don't, don't hate on him. So he had a good year. Cain's got another opportunity to not let this control him and not let this power of sin just overwhelm him. It's not about a sneaking, evil, and wicked man that Cain is. I mean, yes, he is, but we only know that by retrospect, right? We only know that because he does kill, he does kill Abel. But then we think, oh, well, he's wicked. Man, he's just a guy trying to figure out how I deal with the fact that I'm a failure, and there's just Mr. Winner all around me all the time. Not to mention the whole idea of my parents are watching him win and I'm not. I mean, look, every time one kid jumps off the diving board and says, look at me, the next kid races to the, to the diving board and says, look at me too. There's not enough. There's a sense of a scarcity, a scarcity riddled reasoning that says I'm living in a kingdom where there's, it's a zero sum game. That more praise for my sister is less for me. And I can't get enough. And if they get some, maybe 
they're eating more pie than I want, than, 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 I, than I, 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 I won't get enough. There's not enough for me. I mean, look here. Here's Cain actively refusing the cross because he could listen. He could listen to God who's saying, look, you haven't done well. I don't have a regard for your offering. This is reality. Accept it. Pick up your cross and die to that person that has to have it so bad that you're hating your brother. But he refuses to look. I was noticing this David Bates art. This is the new, uh, this is the new exhibit at uh, Tyler Museum of Art right now. And I, I caught it just as I was doing some studying. Uh, it's there till, through the, I think the 9th of September. He's a famous Texas artist. And I thought, well, look at, this is interesting. This is Cain and Abel maybe. Or maybe this is Cain like looking down. Could he look at his shadow self? Can he look at that person that's within him that he's, he just does, he can't, he doesn't want to admit, he wants to Pollyanna away the fact that he actually is about to kill his brother? I mean, here's God saying, look at the reflection. Look at the reflection of your loss. Understand your anger. See that you're, this is going to go somewhere that you don't want. This comes to my next point. Refuse the cross and you'll end up crucifying someone else. Jesus says, pick up your cross and die daily. Wherever you are, X marks the spot. Wherever you are, there's a cross, if you're being honest. There's the cross. And if you refuse that cross, you will inevitably do violence to other people. Because God is trying to show you who you are. And if you don't accept that, you're going to hurt people without knowing it. Or because you want to. All sorts of malevolence is going on inside of you. And it's, and it's not just for the, your enemy. Sometimes it's for your family. Sometimes it's for your in-laws. Sometimes it's from your in-laws to you. Okay, I mean, this is, this is just a reality that we must explore or we're just gonna keep hurting each other. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. James says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth, brings forth death. That's what's happening here, nothing less. And it's the first time, it's the first death in the Bible. Here is also Paul says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Cain will not acknowledge the body of death. He will not acknowledge the fact that a murderer lurks within his heart. And because he won't acknowledge it, it's coming out. When God uses this image, uh, it's like uh, telling us that sin has an abiding, growing presence in your life. If you commit sin, sin is not over. Sin is not simply an action. It's a force. It's a power. Now, my Blythe loved Jack in the Box. You guys know Jack in the Box? Of course you do. I'm not talking about food. I know you're hungry. But, <clears throat> but when you think about this, I mean, she used to crank that thing. 
We know it's coming. But this is like more like an evil jack-in-the-box. You know what I mean? Like the sense of like, you're not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not, oh gosh, I hate myself. I'm just not measuring up. And then you're just, you're nuts and you kill somebody. Now, I'm not saying, you know, look, maybe it's just that you hate somebody. But Christ makes that, you know, tantamount, it's tantamount to killing somebody because it's all about the, the, the predisposition of your heart. And when you live in an old kingdom sense of there's not enough, then you're always going to be on the lookout for those stupid people that have more than me. That's no bueno. That's not good. That's not the reflection of Christ. But that's what's happening here. The Lord said then to, excuse me, Cain spoke up to his, spoke to his Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. You have the first morning, 1888, French artist. This is Adam and Eve holding Abel. Perhaps a measure of conjecture. We don't know that Adam and Eve were even there for this. Maybe the guys had gotten older. Maybe there'd been many years of offerings to the Lord. All we know is after one offering that wasn't accepted and one that was, a murder came because of Cain's sin. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, I've always heard this like, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The sense of sort of flippance, flippant like, don't ask me, God. Like, who would talk to God that way? But let's consider also that punctuation was not put into the Bible until the translations began to, to, to occur. It might have been something like, I don't know that I'm my brother's keeper. I didn't know that I was my brother's keeper, okay? First guy ever born to the first people ever made. And he doesn't understand. Maybe sin has dislocated and created such disunion between even brothers that the idea of taking care of your brother or loving your brother when he succeeds where you fail is a completely foreign concept. Maybe the man who's born in sin is not, in fact, his brother's keeper. Maybe he needs a better and truer brother to be his keeper. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Remember, this is not a discussion. This entire scripture is not a discussion between Abel and God. It's a discussion between you and God because you are Cain and I am Cain. And with every act and with every thought and with every concern, disappointment, disillusionment, rage, anger, deed, death, with everything that happens, God steps closer. God gets closer and closer. Your brother's, boy, your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. It's like there's this sense of, it demands a response. I have to do something. Because here we have the first brothers, killing, first brothers killing his own brother. And so he says, And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. The material world, guys, is hungry for death. It's hungry for vengeance. It's hungry for judgment. This is, an old, this is the old kingdom M.O. That's just the way things are. You see how we lift people up in the media or in politics and we can tear them down. We love to see people go up and then go down. It makes us feel more in control. 
Do you know? And the sense is here is that there's an answer that is demanded. When you work the ground, here is the curse, or the extenuation of the curse, right? We got the curse with Adam and Eve, and now we get a little bit more of an unfolding. Oh, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse now. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. So the curse gets worse. Now he can't get back to God. Religion is not possible. He, we now understand that. He's a wanderer. Oh, he's a wanderer. He wanders round and round and round. I mean, he's wandering around, and that's not a good thing. That's not a happy tune. He is outcast from God. You ever, you ever work a really hard day's work? I have never, so just let me know if you... No, but it, you ever work a really hard day's work, and you fall right into bed, and you sleep so good? That something about the day that you lived and the day that you had yielded to you its strength. I can promise you that's because of Jesus. And I could probably work that out if I had another sermon series to do it in. But I've got to keep working here. <laughs> when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Are you homeless? Do you feel homeless sometimes? Do you wake up and believe that you are not worthy of being a son of God unless you earn it again? If so, you are functionally living in the spirit of Cain. If you think that you have no home, if you think that you cannot get to God except by, what is it, if it's to be, it's up to me, by the work of your own hands, you are functionally alive in the spirit of Cain, or maybe better said, you are among the walking dead. And then Cain says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Notice he doesn't say what I did is worse than I can actually take right now. But like us, we typically only get our head turned to God when we really get chastised or punished for the things that we did or the things that we ought to have done that we did not do. And we recognize we can't take it. I'm so outcast. I'm so outside of what feels like the pleasure of God, what feels like that, that, that sense of, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. He said, goes on, behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance should be taken on him sevenfold and the Lord put a mark on Cain lest any who found him should attack him. So what's happening here? God is saying to attack Cain is predicated on the idea that you would have done anything different if you were Cain. And that is a fairy tale that we tell ourselves all the time. And it, cause, it stokes the flames of, what should I say, contempt for other people or the absence of compassion. If I would have done it, I wouldn't have done what they did. How can you know? What's wrong with you that you think that way? What's wrong with me that I think that way? Well, comparison and condemnation. I live under condemnation, so I can't bear the fact that I'm a sinner because then it makes me feel like I'm apart from God. I have to relinquish my life, but Cain doesn't want to. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, that's a bummer of a story. Can I say that? Like, if I was to stop there, it would just be no way to end this sermon. But I have a key idea that I want you to know. 
Because we can't, he became able. <sighs> Felt good about that one. Because we can't, he became able. You see, Jesus Christ is the true and better able. The sacrificial shepherd who laid down his life allowed himself to be slain for the sin of the world. David Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. In case you haven't really received this fact, in case you think, yeah, sure, Jesus died for me, but I still need to. If Jesus Christ had shed his blood for you, has shed his blood for you, and you have asked God to forgive you because of Jesus Christ's shed blood, God could never, ever, ever, ever condemn you because that would be to get two payments and that would be unjust. Therefore, the justice of God now demands that there is no condemnation for you as long as you live and that you will never perish. What did, Adam, what did, what did Cain and Abel know? They knew that they were gonna die and they knew that, and Cain knew condemnation because his offering was not acceptable. And let me tell you, no matter how high you are on your horse right now, your offering will one day or has in one day in the past been unacceptable. You might never be as good looking as your brothers, twins, but you're never gonna play the bass or the horns like they do. It's never gonna happen. And you can be upset about that or you can recognize it and stop hating each other. I don't know that that's exactly the, the, the possibility, but what I want to say to you is this is, a, this is a pregnant reality in every family that I know and love in our community, and we either acknowledge it or we don't, and people don't acknowledge it to their own peril. So let's think about Jesus here. We have been given life eternal because of a true and better able this is an, an Abel who studied the ground of the curse from which the first victim of murder's blood cried out. Jesus studies the ground. He comes close to Cain in, in God. And he sees the, futil the futility of retaliation. There's no just war theory. God is not on their side or our side because we're all just sinners killing each other. And God loves the whole world. It was the futility of retaliation that's played out for centuries and all men were blind to the root of the sickness. It's not out there. It's in here. It's not that you are... You see, you see here, Cain was either a victim of his parents' shoddy raising or he was a murderer from hell. And we can't have it we, 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 can't, we can't sit in that dualistic thinking because that says, I'm going to be on the side of Abel. And the truth is, is you, we are all paradoxes. There's a murderer that lives within us. I mean, I have this dream sometimes that I murdered somebody. And I wake up and I would, I li like literally, like I'm like, have I forgotten? Did I murder somebody and I don't know? Or I forgot somewhere? And I think that speaks to this undercurrent of condemnation and anxiety that follows us our whole life long. It's why we smoke. It's why we drink. It's why we eat too much El Charo. We're anxious because we don't measure up to the righteousness of God. 
But then there's Jesus. As he passed by, this is from John, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Is he a murderer? Or does his, do his parents, are his parents, Adam and Eve, you know, are, is it their fault? And Jesus totally upends the question, just totally erases it, right? He says, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and we know how it worked out from there. Did you know? Did you know that they can track DNA through spittle? Through spit, through saliva. And I've often thought, I was thinking, did Jesus like get down and here he sees this man that's blind and he see all these miserable Pharisees and Sadducees that are kind of looking at this man that's born blind and they're looking at him and they're hating on Jesus and, and he just sees the whole thing and he thinks, this ground is cursed and I'm gonna put my sinless DNA into that ground. Like that's how low Jesus gets to get into your life. That's how, that's at what a cellular level we are saved. He changes the curse. He reverses the curse from the ground up. It's not about getting to the top of righteousness and ringing the bell. It's the fact that you're already fallen down so far and you don't even realize it. And there's Christ to reverse the curse in your life. The ground is no longer cursed. The true and better Abel has conquered death and has forgiven the Cain within each of us. Condemnation is over. Comparison is a futile game. The serpent's head has been crushed. Death has lost its sting. We live life in Abel. And we live life in Abel. Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And we are invited to live in this blessing of the true and better Abel. May we? Will you? Do you? Will you again? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for... We thank you for revealing to us what hurts most what's ugliest about us, what's insufficient within us. We thank you that through our weakness, your strength is made perfect. Help us to see, help us to see that cane that lurks within us and reckon, reckon it him forgiven we can stop the games and live in you where there's abundance where there's riches without end eternity of compassion and hope joy, kindness, peace, patience gentleness long suffering help us relinquish our lives 
and find life abundant in you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet for a long overdue benediction. Thank you for bearing with me. I don't really practice these things to find out how long they're going to take. I just get in there and uh, do my best. So thank you for, uh, thank you for hanging with me. Uh, and now, benediction. May the God who understood the cursed ground and redeemed it all rest. May you rest in him this day and always. In Christ's name, amen. Go in peace. Hey, Chris. <laughs>